Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. You know, um, I talked to guys like a handyman this week, and he told me, it's amazing, people hire me and they like me, and because I go in their house and I can fix anything. The truth is, he said, I don't know how to fix anything. But there's this thing, it's called um, YouTube. And they have these tutorials, and you can look it up, and, and you can figure out how to do anything on YouTube. Well, guess what? The Bible has a YouTube, because none of us knows how to do life. None of us knows how to die, because we haven't done it before. We don't know how to retire. We don't know how to uh, enter into the empty nest part of our life. If you're a, a student, you don't know how to separate from your parents, go off to college or life or move or whatever. Um, so how do we find out to do that? Well, the Bible has a YouTube. It has a YouTube channel. It's called Proverbs. Proverbs is the wisdom literature of the Bible. It's just how to think, how to value, how to... Now, you know, should I commit adultery with my neighbor's wife? Proverbs doesn't, you know, that's, I mean, you don't need wisdom for that. Just don't, right? Should I embezzle money from, uh, from my employer? You don't need wisdom for that. The Bible's very clear. Thou shalt not steal, right? No, it's like, where do I go to college, right? Um, what do I do about this uh, person at work who is stealing? What do I do about that? I, I, I know about it. Who do I, you know, how do I wisely handle that, right? What do I do with uh, my teenager who's rebellious? How do I... How do I get into their heart? And you know what I mean? It's all that doing of life. And God gives us wisdom. And we turn to it now in this subject of, uh, of pride. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay, let me read from Proverbs. We're going to start at chapter 11, verse 2. You can follow on the screen. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Pride comes, then comes disgrace. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Look at Proverbs 6. Look at that. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs 16, verse 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction, right? Um, we actually have sayings in our culture um, that come from the Bible and people very often don't even know they're from the Bible. They're not Christians, they're not believers. But what's one of those sayings? What cometh before a fall? Pride cometh before a fall, right? Here it says, right in Proverbs, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Haughty is, a, is another word for pride. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Better to be just rubbing a couple pennies together and yet uh, uh, be um, humble than it is to have um, buckets of wealth and to be proud. And then we're going to see what the New Testament says real quickly. Uh, does, it, uh, does it affirm these Proverbs? We look at James chapter 4, which says, God opposes the proud 
but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So go ahead and be seated um, if you would. So who's the proudest person that you know? I don't mean you have to know them personally. Maybe it is. So don't point at the, your spouse. Don't, don't, uh, don't point across the room somewhere. Um, um, who's the proudest person you know? Maybe it is personally, but um, who's someone maybe out there in culture, you know, that if they were to humble themselves, I mean, it would shock you. I mean, if, if you had to bet thousands of dollars, you would do it instantly, that this is a person, you'll never witness them humbling themselves. You got somebody in mind? Somebody just hard, hard to believe that they could ever humble um, themselves. I think of sports, you know, I, uh, when my, I was raising my kids, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were the thing. I cannot imagine Michael Jordan sort of before his ex-teammates saying, you know, want to know the truth? It was, um, it, it was Steve Kerr. It was Bill Cartwright. It was Luke Longley. Those are the guys who won all those championships in Chicago. I couldn't have done anything without them. Sorry, can't imagine that happening. Um, imagine uh, ge- geopolitically, let's uh, suppose, how many could picture Vladimir Putin going on TV and saying... Um, my leadership has um, been evil. I have uh, suppressed uh, my own countrymen. I have taken uh, the, 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 this, this great people, this great culture, and I've driven it into the ground. And on top of the, I've suppressed um, the church, and on top of all these things, I, I've invaded our neighbors and inflicted horrific harm. How many of you think you're gonna see that in the next um, couple of weeks? Or how many would say, or, or there's another politician I'm thinking in our country, but I'm not naming names, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not going there. Um, but perhaps that helps. Um, think of Hollywood, right? Um, James Cameron's a director in Hollywood, and sometimes we think of people really, you know, um, pride in Hollywood. James Cameron, won, when he won the Academy Award for the film Titanic, he went on the stage to get his award and he, and he said, do you remember what he said? I am the king of the world. Ay, 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 ay. So the truth is, um, there is no one more beset with pride than you. If you've thought of anyone other than yourself, um, and, 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 and you know, you could easily say, pastor, I'm not a good person. I struggle with anger, I struggle with lust, I am um, selfish, I, I spend too much money on myself. Pride is not my problem. Do you know that the, the leading indicator of pride is? The leading indicator of the condition of pride is that you don't recognize that condition in yourself. Um, so, um, the number one trait that leads to wisdom is humility, and the number one trait that leads to being a fool is pride. Pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humbles. You ready to go? Let's talk about pride um, together. Um, Let's define um, pride. What is pride, right? First thing we want to say is that 
the proud are self-dependent, right? To be proud is to be self-dependent. With me? Got a sermon outline? Taking notes? Or are you saying, I don't need to take notes. I got this. Um, self-dependent. How proud is it to usurp God's place? That's what, our, that's what our first parents did, right? A declaration of independence to the creator. God says, I made you. I, I've given you everything. I only have this one prohibition for you. And yet our first parents say, we're confident we can run the world better without you. Our best future lies in our taking charge uh, from here. Um, we're now the owner, we're the boss, we're the pilot of this plane. We can run our lives better than you can. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Michael Puckett preached on that verse last week from Proverbs uh, in our church. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And yet the prideful say, um, I don't, um, I trust myself. Um, I trust myself. I will direct my own path. You know, God says, don't marry an unbeliever. Don't spend lavishly on yourself. Don't use your tongue to speak ill of others. Honor those who are in authority over you. And we say, you know, this is good stuff, but um, honestly, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I claim the right to a self-directed life. I write the rules for my life. I'm free of this ancient religious stuff. Pride, the pride are self-dependent. Do you know a great book written years ago called The Three Christ of Ypsilanti. Um, uh, I'm not from Michigan. Is it Ypsilanti or Yips? Yips, yeah. Um, so uh, Milton Rokich was a psychologist and it was about three um, uh, gentlemen, uh, Leon, Joseph, and Clyde, who all um, believed that they were Jesus Christ reincarnate. And uh, they, that's why they were institutionalized. Um, they had uh, psychotic delusional disorder, grandiose type it was called. Um, and they were making no progress with them. And they'd been hospitalized for quite some time. So they, uh, the staff got together and said, let's try this. And so they isolated the three of them together. They gave them three beds right next to each other. They, um, they um, took all their meals together by themselves at a table. They... Um, they were put in the same workplace all together. They, uh, and they, they sat in a small group uh, at the end of every day to sort of process the day, just the, them all together. Um, and, and just wondering um, um, how this would progress. Uh, they're sitting in small group and, and one of them says, um, um, I have been sent into the world to be the redeemer of the entire world. And um, I am Jesus Christ. And um, I think the Rokich said to them, how, um, how do you know that? And he said, God told me. And one of the other guys sitting there said, I told you nothing of the kind, right? <laughs> they call this a Messiah complex. What's sobering is to realize we all have it. We all live a delusional life. If we think we can make it in this world, independent of God. The famous theologian named Brad Pitt said, I found my Christian upbringing very stifling 
When I got untethered from the comfort of religion, it wasn't a loss of faith for me. It was a discovery of self. I had faith that I'm capable enough to handle any situation. There it is, right? There's my faith. My faith is in me. I'm capable. I can handle it. This, this straight jacket of God, unnecessary. Got it? So the pride are self-dependent. The, the proud are, um, are self-righteous. See, the Bible says that we're separated from God. We were made to be children of God. We were made to be secure in his love and affection, to do life from him. But we actually walked away from him. Um, we gave God the middle finger. We, um, we divorced ourselves from God, and that's left us orphans in this world. And because what happens to an orphan is cut off from her home, their family, their, uh, from parental love. What happens? They don't, know the, they don't know who they are. They don't know that they're loved. They don't know that they're valuable, right? Nobody's telling them all the time that, that, that I love you and, and showing care and affection, right? So you have to go out into the world and you have to do that. That's who we are. We are made orphans by our rejection of God. And so we are insecure and we're desperate to feel worthy and significant and to be somebody. So a primary way we do that, a primary way we bolster our shaky egos is by favorably comparing ourselves with other people, right? So it's not that I have to be so good, but I can find people who are worse than me and that'll help me feel that I'm valuable, that I have worth, that I'm significant. It's right in the Bible. Jesus said two men went up to the temple to pray. You remember that? And one was a religious leader and one was a tax collector. One was a Pharisee and the other was a traitor of the Jews to the Roman occupiers, uh, a vile uh, man hated by the community. And the Pharisee, the religious leader, said, God, I thank you that I am not like him. That was his prayer, right? While the other man, Jesus said, said what? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, who went home justified that day? Who went home right with God? We try to feel better about ourselves by putting others down, we do it all the time. It's in our DNA. We are self-righteous. We're self-righteous about our parenting. We see some kids acting up in, in the grocery store or something with their parent, and we say, eh, what would happen in my day? I'd have, I'd have worn my kids' butt out, you know. Um, and we're, we are self-righteous about our diet, right? You're eating a, a, a donut in the break room and someone says, yeah, I had a, a quinoa bowl for breakfast this morning with a little kale uh, mixed in. We're, we're, we're self-righteous about our holidays, right? We don't do Halloween in our house. We're, um, we are self-righteous at, at Publix. You mean you use plastic bags? I care about the turtles. Um, <laughs> We're self-righteous about, you know, our, our um, devotion to um, things that matter, you know. Uh, I saw, I saw the, the wonderful pictures you posted about your fabulous cruise. Our family isn't going to be able to do anything like that. We're giving our money to orphans in Africa. Um, yeah, on it goes, right? We're just self-righteous. We think ourselves better than the people around us. That's the whole political divide in our country. 
is a constant daily declaring ourselves smarter and better and more righteous and, uh, than anyone on the other side. Um, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a cancerous illness. We're self-righteous about grammar. I heard this story of this um, a professor actually at the uh, University of Arizona in Tucson was uh, driving to, the, uh, to teach his classes and a policeman pulled him over for speeding. He was late, he was speeding. And policemen pulled him over and the professor explained, you know, the students are waiting. I got to get there. I'm sorry. It's my fault, but uh, they are waiting there. I can't miss the, the class. And uh, the policeman was understanding and kind enough um, to say, all right, all right, um, just slow down and drive safe. Now, this is an English professor. So he said, oh, certainly, officer, I think what you meant to say was slow down and drive safely. And the officer said, no, what I meant to say was that'll be $200 (laughs) ticket for speeding. We are self-righteous. When I went, I had the privilege one time of going to Sumter Correctional Institution to speak to the prisoners there in their chapel. And, uh, it was a delight to be with them and, and they were singing and teaching and they were very responsive to the teaching. They had a lot of questions. I was just surprised by something that had happened when it was over. They came up to me and they said, it must be a great, you must really enjoy coming and speaking to us. It must just be great for you to, to be able to speak to us because um, every speaker who comes here tells us that they love preaching to us because we're so responsive and we sing with such joy and that in their churches, people just sit there and they're kind of bored and unresponsive. So I'm talking to murderers. I'm talking to child abusers and they consider themselves better than who? You. Better than you. Everybody's finding someone to consider themselves better than, to try to assuage their own sense of worthlessness. Got it? Um, The proud are self-dependent, we're self-righteous, and we are self-absorbed. Constantly thinking, how how do I look? Uh, How am I performing? How am I being treated? Um, Are people noticing me? Um, uh, How do I feel? How's my day going? How well am I regarded? How well am I paid? Am I being paid proper um, respect? We think of the proud as those who think too highly of themselves. Um, But uh, those who are self-deprecating and hate themselves are equally self-absorbed. You understand that? To be proud is to be self-absorbed. You can love yourself or hate yourself. You're still self-absorbed. It's still self, 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 self. Thinking about yourself. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Um, you know, um, just think of the, the, the mother of the bride, right? Who thinks the wedding is about her. Or think of the bride who thinks that the wedding is about her. This is my big day. No, it's not. Life isn't about you. You know what? It's your parents' big day. It's your grandparents' big day. It's your siblings' big day. It's your spouse's big day. It's a lot of people this matters to. And you know what? Whether it really is a great day for you isn't the important thing. It's that it's a great day for them. 
You see the difference? This is so quintessentially we can see people that are self-absorbed. You know, I know a guy who goes and speaks sometimes around the country, even has had privilege to speak around the world at conferences and things. And I, I know this, this guy's going to Memphis next weekend to speak at a church there. And wherever he goes in the world, he thinks that it's about him. And you're looking at that guy. <laughs> Struggles with fear in front of people. How am I going, you know, and, and honestly, it's not how will they feel about me, but how will I feel about me? Um, we are proud. Got it? Got it? All of us. Second, um, pride cometh before a fall. Let's talk about pride is a spiritual cancer. Uh, pride will destroy us. You know, when pride is not dealt with, it leads uh, to disaster. What do, the, what do the scriptures say? Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. There it is. And he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will destroy you. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Wow. God opposes the proud. God, I'm going to tell you something. When I was a little kid, one thing I got from going to church as a little kid is I knew this. Um, whatever I did in my life, I didn't want God opposed to me. I mean, that's just wisdom, right? Why in the world would I want to live in this world and have the creator of this world opposed to me? God is opposed to the proud. Pride is the first of the seven deadly sins, right? What, is it, what does it say in, in James? There it is. God opposes the proud. Pride's destruction. Now, why is it so um, destructive, pride? Because the prideful person doesn't see it in themselves. It's invisible to them, and therefore it's uncorrectable. It's like getting a, a, an anonymous gift in your mailbox at work of a bottle of mouthwash. And you wonder, who am I supposed to give this to? <laughs> Apparently somebody in the office has a problem. Um, as a pastor through the years, I've dealt with people who are torn up by their children's uh, alienation from them, particularly their adult children. And how often I've found those people totally unwilling to look at their contribution to that. They're just angry at their children because they've been great parents. And the same with marriage. I remember one time a guy came to me and he, he was actually a pastor. And he came to me and he said, um, he said, my wife wants to divorce me. And I had talked to her. I, I knew her beef with him and the marriage and I knew her desires. He said, my wife wants to divorce me and I know the Bible and I know she does not have biblical grounds to divorce me. And I want you to tell her that she does not have biblical grounds to divorce me. I'm telling her, but she's going to do it anyway. And, um, and, and in truth, I, I think he was actually right. I didn't think that she had biblical warrant um, to divorce him. But uh, I, I said to him, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask if you're willing to do this. I want to ask if, you, if you're more interested in being right or being reconciled. Um, 
And I, and, and I wonder if you'd be willing to do this. I wonder if you'd be willing to go home today and say to your wife, I, I, I'd like to talk. And she's not going to want to talk because she knows what happens when you talk. I said, but would you just listen to me for a minute? Do me just that favor. You don't have to respond. You don't have to say anything, but let me. And, and, and I said, and you could say to her, I believe that, that uh, I know you want to divorce me and I, and I don't think that you have biblical grounds to divorce me. Um, but, but God is helping me to see something. And that is that if you do divorce me, it will be my fault. Because I'm an ass. And because I've, the way I've treated you through the years and the way I have failed to love you and the way I've failed to serve you and my arrogance and my... And, and I said, tell her that. Tell her that, that being married to you, I mean, say to her, I don't know how you've made it as long as you have. To be married to me is oppressive. And God's helping me to see it for the first time. It's been hell for you to be married to me. And I don't think you should divorce me. But if you do... I could never hold it against you. And, and I don't know if I can change, but I want to change and I'm asking God to change me. And I, I wonder if you'll stick around for a little while longer and see if I couldn't make some progress. And you know what he said? He looked at me as red in the face as he could be and said, my wife has no grounds to divorce me. And they were divorced and all the wreckage that comes with that. The inability of the prideful to stop prosecuting other people and to see their own stuff, that's what's destructive. Got it? That's why pride destroys. It blinds us to ourself. Can I say something else about pride? It, why else is it so deadly and destructive? Because it's on a collision course with reality, the very fabric of the entire um, universe. It's like driving on the wrong side of the road. You could get away with it. You get away with it for a while, but sooner or later, you're going to collide with reality, right? Um, so God opposes the proud. God tears down the house of the proud. There's an incredibly... Uh, theme that runs from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through. God loves the widow. God loves the poor. God loves the outsider. God loves the nobody, right? God loves the weak. God loves the tax collector, right? God loves the hated. God loves the God's on the side of the poor. Notice when it says that God tears down the house of the proud, but the house of the widow he maintains. That's a theme all through the Bible. That's a theme of the universe. You open the Bible and what do you find? One inviolable rule of ancient culture was that the older um, uh, male child was the head of the house, was the, uh, the primary inheritor of all. And yet all through God's economy in the Bible, what do you see? It's the younger, right? Um, it's the younger in, in every case, the younger um, brother. It's, um, it's Isaac, not Ishmael. It's Jacob, not Esau. It's Joseph, not David. And what's an inviolable role in human history is the beautiful woman gets the powerful man. And you know what we read in the Bible and, and uh, right on through is it's the unwanted woman, Leah. Uh, through her comes um, uh, the one in the line of Christ. It's the barren Hannah. It's the prostitute Rahab. It's the foreigner um, Ruth. You get it? This is, this is the whole sweep of the Bible. You can run against that. You can drive the wrong way but you'll get crushed. 
This is written into the, the fabric of this world because God made this world. And you know what the Bible says about that God? He lives in, in Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a theological word, a big theological word, periochoresis. Throw that out at lunch to somebody who wasn't. Throw, if you eat lunch with a Baptist today, just throw that out there. That's what we talked about in our church. Be a little prideful, but I give you permission. Um, you know what it means? It, it, that refers to the, the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with each other in all eternity. It, it, it describes that there's a doctrine of mutual love. There's a giving of glory to the other persons of the Godhead. This, this choreography, this dance of affection within the Godhead. There's, a, there's a, an other orientation. A self-denying love is at the center of the universe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are about each other. So if you are in the business of self-glorification, if you are in the business of you, you are on a collision course with the very fabric of the universe and you will lose. You will lose. God will tear down the proud. Um, don't raise your child to be great. Don't raise them to be someone great. I want my child to be the next Tiger Woods on the golf course. You know, I want my child to be, speak of pride. Pride leading to a fall, right? Tiger Woods. I want my child to be, you know, a, a great doctor, a great lawyer. I want my child to be great. Great, 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 great. I celebrate when they're great. Um, how about raising them to make others great? You make your children, it's not that they're great, but that the passion of their life is to make others great. You know what will happen? They may not be great, but you'll save their soul. And you know what? If your child lives their life to make other people great, then they will be what? Great. They'll be great. Malcolm Muggeridge was a cynical British journalist. There's a lot of those. And he, he, his career was... Um, Burgeon came right out of World War II with all that horror in the world. He was an unbeliever, an atheist, a skeptic. And then he heard about a woman. And her name was Mary. She was an Albanian. She was a nun. Her name was Mary Teresa. Maybe you've heard of her. She came to be called Mother Teresa. She and, and the order that she led cared for the dying in Calcutta, India. And Muggeridge heard about this woman, so he went there to see for himself. And when he saw such selfless love, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he wrote a book called Something Beautiful for God. See, she made herself the least. And by the time she died, she was the most influential woman in the entire world. Um, Damien, Father Damien, went to Hawaii because in Hawaii there was a vast colony of lepers. That's where lepers were shipped 
to remote islands. They couldn't infect anyone else. But he went there and he organized the lepers so that they had health care and that they had education and they had jobs and they did farming and he just totally transformed their lives. And then he got leprosy and then he died. And you can go to the U.S. Capitol today. Every state gets two statues in Statuary Hall in Washington. You've been there, haven't you? And one of Hawaii's statues, one of the 100 statues in Statuary Hall is of Father Damien. You see, he made himself the least. So he's regarded as what? Great. That's the route to greatness. Be nothing. Be nothing. Give yourself away for others. So here we go. Let's finish. How do we get delivered from pride? What's the cure for pride? Believe the gospel. Humble yourself. Admit yourself absorbed, right? You're not better than anyone else. Admit yourself absorbed. You know what the gospel says? You're far worse than you even know. Your greatest self-realization of how rotten you are isn't even close. It would destroy you to know how evil you are but you're also more loved than you ever could possibly dream. And both those things are true. <laughs> you're the beloved of God if you're in Jesus. God gives grace to the humble. So admit it, humble yourself. Join a small group. Join some group of people where you can tell the truth about yourself. You need it. They need you. Bill Wilson started Alcoholics Anonymous because he whipped alcohol and he wanted to help other people do it too. That's not why he started Alcoholics Anonymous. He started Alcoholics Anonymous because he couldn't whip alcohol without a what? Without others, without a support group, right? Somewhere where they could all go and tell the truth about themselves. A friend of mine was a friend of a governor of South Carolina uh, when, when he was elected governor. This was a man who professed faith in Christ Grew up in a Christian school. Um, you know, his friends got around him and asked him, what small group are you in? What church are you going to? He didn't do those things once he became governor. He resigned in disgrace. He got caught with a mistress. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. You need other people. Go around, go around telling people what's wrong with you, not what's wrong with them. You got people... I met a guy one time, I spoke at a conference on the beach in, in Panama City, uh, all college students. And my wife went with me to this and, and she sat down before I spoke and some student came over and said, you're in my seat. And uh, the, the other students there said, oh, don't mind him. His name is Rebuke. That's what they called him, Rebuke. He was so gifted at rebuking people and gifted. Um... A lot of us are really good at seeing what's wrong with other people. Stop going around telling people what's wrong with them and go around telling other people what's wrong with you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. It'll change your family. It'll change your relationship. It'll change your marriage. Humble yourself. Believe the gospel. Jesus loves you. You don't have to pretend you're any good. You're not. Second, practice the gospel, right? Take the lower place. Jesus even said, don't go to a banquet and take the best seat. 
What are you thinking? Take the worst seat. You take the best seat. The head of the banquet's going to make you move and everybody there's going to see you get demoted. Take the worst seat. Put yourself below other people. Um, you know, take the lesser place. Just practice it all the time. Take the lesser place. Be served last. Be the first one to, to, to pick up trash, to serve the other people. Let other people go first. You know, I, when I was writing this, I was thinking, you don't do that, Ray. When you're driving, you never do that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm even going to start, but I should. Um, you know, it's like when you go to the post office. I hate when I pull up to the post office. I want to get in there and I want to get out. And I hate it. Why when I pull in, five other people pull in right at the same time. Now it's a race to the door. <laughs> and uh, and but by, by what I'm preaching, when I get to the door, I should what? Hold it open, and sure enough, there's a lady coming with a walker, right? <laughs> and I know once they get inside there, she's going to talk to the one person behind the counter for 20 minutes about the corns on her feet and all this stuff, and I'm going to be sitting there steaming. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> you see what I mean? Everyday life, you got constant opportunity to practice. Take the lower place. You go on a missions trip instead of a cruise and then don't brag about it. <laughs> well, that's the whole point of going on a mission trip, to brag about it. Um, you know what Jim Collins said in his book, Good to Great? The great CEOs in this country are the most um, um, self-effacing. Uh, um, they um, they're not proud they believe that their coworkers are, are, are more important than they are. Their employees are more, they, they, they live to make their employees and their workers successful. They serve. They are in that position to serve. I remember a pastor told me that a CEO of Fortune 500 company would come to the church on Saturday mornings and he would vacuum the, the sanctuary to prepare it for Sunday worship. He would come early enough in the morning that no one would ever see him. But he said, why do you do that? You get the busiest life of anybody in our church. Why do you do that? He said, every Saturday morning I come here to remember who I am. To remember I'm a servant. So believe the gospel, humble yourself. You're so loved. Practice the gospel and then preach the gospel to yourself. I've always had huge performance anxiety. Before I preach, I sit in the front row of the church and, I, and I'm thinking of the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Me. When I played high school sports, I had to sing Jesus Loves Me as I prayed. Um, listen, don't put so much value in your performance. Don't put so much value in what other people think of you. I used to try to remind myself when I played sports that if I miss the free throw at the end of the game and we lose, my teammates will hate me, but my mom will still love me. <laughs> and you know what? I, I care about what my mom thinks more than them. Today's my mom's birthday. 96 years old. Um, you know what Brendan Manning, Manning said? Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Every other identity is an illusion. Right? So preach the gospel to yourself every day, all the time. Jesus loves you. He really does. We don't get worth from what other people think of us. We don't get worth from what we think of us. We're not orphans. We have a dad. 
He's crazy about us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.